Honestly, WWE should invest in audiobook reading, though, because if if Mark Calloway was reading like a horror novel, I'd be like, I need to check out this this horror novel here. <laughs> I would order Harper Audio presents Salem's Lot by Stephen King. Uh, I thought you were uh, copying uh, Randy Savage for a second. It's Mark Calloway doing a Randy Savage impersonation <laughs> for some reason. <laughs> Actually, I wish Randy Savage uh, read The Haunting of Hill House. He's like, ooh, yeah. The, the house stood for 80 years. <laughs> I can't even do it. <laughs> I think I think Randy Savage would read uh, would read Little Webman if he was <laughs> an audiobook. <laughs> Welcome everyone to Page and Screen. This is a book club for books adapted to movies and a movie club for movies adapted from books. I'm Calvin De Silva, and I'm pissed this had nothing to do with Lauren Conrad. Ah, uh, yes. Hi, I'm Jesse Mully, and no one's coming to help you in the night, in the dark. I am Ashton, and I think all parents should write their children books to teach them about humility like Ukraine did. <laughs> But uh, no, I'm I'm Doug, and uh, I um yes, things are Good evil. Job. <laughs> <laughs> this episode, we are discussing the haunting of Hill House. The novel was written by Shirley Jackson in 1959. It was adapted in 2018 by Mike Flanagan in The Haunting of Hill House, a Netflix miniseries. Let's get into the book. Um, well, I I think the book was really good. It was a little bit slow for probably the first third, I think. It took a little bit to like actually get going. Um, but I, I really did think I, by the time it got about a third in, I was really into it. And I was really interested in seeing what's going to happen to all these characters. It was very like four people sitting, uh, four people spending a time in a haunted house, kind of like in the same vein as like... Um, house on haunted hill and stuff like that so um that was kind of interesting to uh, read a book like that and i i've never read a like a haunted house story so it was kind of a cool kind of a cool thing to see um to read for, for the first time i agree with you i thought i even i would even say it went even further i would even say the first two-thirds of the book or maybe even the, the first half of the book was so slow it took like for me, if I was reading it and I didn't have something like forcing me to go forward, I would have got a third in and just not never picked it up again. But at some point, you know, it happens pretty subtly. At some point, you kind of get sucked into it. And I found that once I got over that that hump, I was able to finish the entire book in like that 24 hour period. It was uh, it grows on you. It, it becomes a really good book by the end. Kind of for me, I, I felt like I felt it, it gave me the emotion of um like I was disturbed at the end of reading it, but um, I think a, a good book gives you a, a, an emotion like that. And, and I thought this was a good book. Yeah. Again, uh, I share a lot of the same opinions as uh, Doug and Ashton. Um, I feel like as if this book was maybe written, you know, when horror had a different attitude at the time. And so I wasn't really scared reading this book. There were some elements that were like a little bit, you know, creepy. Uh, what I did really like about this book was the scientific approach on the paranormal. Um, I kind of liked, I wanted to see more of that subplot and more of, uh, you know, Eleanor's kind of like mental disassoci- dissociation because of the house. Um, it wasn't that scary for me, but 
no, I love the whole paranormal research and whatnot. Yeah, um, I feel like it was unlike any horror book I had read um, until that point because it was there was very little that happened over the course of it, and it was a very slow book. Um, and yeah, there's just there's so little there's so little actual scares in the book. Um, but I, like I kind of liked it because of that. Like I liked. I just think like the writing itself was so strong there. The entire first chapter, just the whole, just following Eleanor driving to the house and her description of things, there was something so off kilter about it. Like I, I was waiting for this perpetual ax to fall kind of, um, it definitely made me feel something, even though there was very little happening on the page, it left me uneasy you know so often the horror books that i read there are very tangible scares you know like there are moments where you're clearly supposed to be afraid because there's something scary happening on the page but when there's really nothing happening like she's sitting in that restaurant just like describing the scene in the restaurant and like and the stuff that she's eating and there was something so unsettling about it i'm like oh some, something terrible is going to happen so <laughs> I really, really enjoyed the book. Um, I thought it was one of the strongest horror books I've read. Um, and yeah, what like one of the night, one of the like the best novels I've read this year. It's it's so different from any book that I've ever read because I don't read horror novels like ever. Like I guess in a way, it's just one of those things where as I was reading it, I kept thinking to myself, knowing I was going to watch the adaption afterwards, I kept thinking. How do you turn this into an into a show worth watching? Because I'd heard all these like great things about it. I'm just and I kept thinking like if if this is the show what the show is, it's gonna be the slowest. Like the episode one, she's like gets in an argument with her sister. Episode two, you know, she's driving <laughs> to a to a goes to a diner. Episode three, she like sees Mr. Darcy. No, not Darcy, Darby. Mr. Dudley. <laughs> Dudley. Yeah, sorry. I got myself confused. Mr. Darcy. Yeah. I'm thinking Mr. Darcy Pride, is, Pride, for Pride some reason, Red. Colin Firth was there. <laughs> yeah. Mr. Dudley. Sorry. The, uh, yeah. I, I, and, but, but that being said, it really puts you in the mind of this character. And I'm thinking to myself as I'm reading it, I actually don't like her. I, I just feel like she is so different from me it, everything that i thought as i was doing i'm like don't do that and she'd do it or she'd be like she'd thinking thoughts that i would never pop into my head for me it was, as a reader i felt it as a bit as, uh, of a foil because we're actually the same age i'm 32 years old and she's 32 years old so i actually had a, a different perspective i kind of understand the difference between 32 and 18 like like i i don't know if, if i'm presenting it correctly but i just i i, I could put myself in her shoes and there were parts of that book I'm just like I'm just like ah oh, like this this woman I just don't like her I, uh, I I enjoyed it but but just parts of it I just didn't like especially about her character. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's funny because like like you said like I was looking at the book and it's like not a big book and I'm like how did they put this into ten episodes right or whatever? But I liked one of the things I liked about it was you know your the whole story is being told through Eleanor's perspective and you're kind of like listening to what her opinions are of different characters and i'm kind of just like listen i'm kind of just like interested and then you realize shortly like quite far into the book that obviously 
she's not a very reliable narrator at all. Like something's seriously off about her. And you're like, Oh, maybe, maybe what she's thinking about these other people is just so off. So then it's, it's a really, I, I really enjoyed the way that that kind of comes to light that you're like, Oh, she's, she's not all there. Like there's something wrong now. But the fact that she is this unreliable narrator, like that's another part of it that was so disturbing is when you got to this point where, where she starts talking about certain things like the cup of like the cup of stars or whatever. And, and you, and you as the reader realize that that didn't happen to you. She's, she's misrepresenting her memories. Um, there was there, when I got to that point, it actually got a little bit more frightening to me because at that point I was like, Whoa, so what else has she been lying about? One of the things I loved about the book was actually the ending. The ending I think was, was actually like quite disturbing and and pretty pretty freaky to me because it it was obviously building towards this um and and I realized I had actually watched a version of this movie um a, a version of the story from the 50s there was a there was a movie called The Haunting that came out in the 50s that was the more faithful adaptation so when it got to the ending I was like oh I I see what's happening like I remember this happening in the movie mm-hmm. um and what's so disturbing about the ending is that the description is that she wants to stay in the house is that the house um, is like the house is her destiny or whatever. Like this is where she's supposed to be. Um, and she firmly believes in this until you get to like the very last paragraph or so when she snaps out of it for a second and she's like, why am I doing this? And then she hits the tree. Right. Um, and it's that moment that you're like, it kind of sat with me for a while where I was like, what does it look like when someone's being compelled to do something by an unseen force? That's what's so scary, right? And it really calls into question the rest of her actions throughout the novel. How much of that was Eleanor and how much of that was the house influencing her actions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this this can go hand in hand with most horror stories and how how we view horror um that horror affects people differently and it affects troubled people more than it does people who you know have a stronger will or whatever and i think this book really really draws on that is that eleanor already comes off as this character that is troubled that you're questioning the whole way through um and her fate seems inevitable but that's what's so creepy about it to me. Like I, I also got that general sense at that very last line where she's like, why, why am I doing this? Right. Uh, and, and earlier in the novel, when, um, when they're all in the, the room there and, and everything's going crazy, like, like the entire house is shaking. Basically, I can't remember exactly what she said, but she basically gave herself in. She said, uh, Oh, like, like, like as soon as she gave herself over to, to whatever was like attacking the room, uh, it stopped. And from that point on in the novel, you can see that like the things weren't the things that were formerly scaring her were kind of drawing her in. I, I don't want to use the word possession, but in, in a way it was kind of like that. Uh, and, and maybe it was. But uh, and so, yeah, that's that is a part of this book that haunted me. Well, not haunted me, but um, and then there was the, another part um, with and I th- I'd say that part and the the Hugh Crane book were the two parts of the book that I, as I was like going through it I'm just like 
like what what the heck am i reading like what's what is this what is this smut as as i've said many times <laughs> so with this book um delving into the nature i really enjoy storylines that have a psychic presence i like that type of um genre and for me i didn't know when i was like reading this book or the audio book um whether or not Eleanor was psychically gifted and actually causing these manifestations as a result of her own fears of being in this literal evil battery, which is Hill house. So again, like Calvin said, it's almost destiny. She was supposed to be there. Um, but I feel, I feel like I'm questioning myself whether or not the events were actually a haunting, uh, or whether she was disturbed or if this was just some sort of psychic anomaly created by her, because in the beginning of the book, she describes as stones raining down on her house. That whole aspect, I was like, that's like kind of weird. And they make reference to like, oh, it could be a tele uh, telekinetic anomaly. So I think it's actually a combination of all of these elements that created this like mental horror. And at the end, when she accepts her fate, um, this is simply just this evil thing getting what it wants. And I just like at that end when she crashes into the tree, and if I'm if I'm not mistaken, she crashes where the previous owner died. Uh, yeah, yeah. The, so, the mother, as she was coming into Hill House, she died. Um, yeah. So like, yeah. that's exactly it. And I just remember that part. Like, oh, like that's what gave me shivers in this book. So, um, yeah, I I love the whole psychic element to this and how that plays into horror. And I and I love the idea that she was creating these manifestations. She was the one, you know, telekinetically uh, trying to open this door and shut. You know what I mean? She's playing against herself. Are there actually ghosts in this house? Or as Hugh Crane built this house, he built it at odd angles to deliberately kind of play with people's minds. So it's all these elements that come together that kind of make this a really good story, in my opinion. There are a lot of theories um, when people first read this book about what was actually happening. One of the theories was that Eleanor is psychic and was moving things around and she was actually the cause of everything in the book. But more than anything else, I was going to say, um, I think it's the nature of how Shirley Jackson handles um, horror. She she said in many interviews that um, she wanted to focus more on terror versus horror. And the simple definition of that is terror is what happens before the scare. Horror is what happens after the scare, right? So, um, so she focused heavily on this sense of dread and buildup of dread and yeah uh, like i said it's just i haven't read a horror book like that it was it was super interesting yeah i, I have to applaud shirley jackson because this book like got into my head literally and was that the intent to do so like i'm doubting okay well i i don't know what's going on here and i think that's the horror is if the horror of the unknown yeah well and and one thing i liked was um like to more on that, Eleanor, every time she displayed strong emotions, then you'd have the specific like attacking of room. Uh, it, seemed, it seemed that the, the worst of the hauntings happened when she was feeling like big emotions. And at the same time as, as well, they, they multiple times referenced the fact that Theodora has, may have some sort of like psychic connection. They, they kind of, they kind of show that a little bit stronger in the actual show. Mm -hmm. And so 
you know, you, you put this, this woman who has like a poltergeist or like a tele, like a telekinetic uh, anomaly yeah. or something. Yeah. Yeah. And then you put a, a woman who has a, like a psychic ability, you put them in the same room together in a haunted house and you start seeing things and things start happening. Right. And so parts of that is it becomes of like what's actually happening and what's going on in the minds. Like they're, I think in a way they, I think in a way they the house is haunted just because of how like the, the, the evil things that had happened before. But I also think that there was a feedback loop where they exactly. were feeding they were feeding off each other that's just my personal opinion of, of as i was reading the book that's kind of how i was translating it in my head um yeah no i, I agree with what i with uh, everything you guys are saying about it. it's pretty it's an interesting book to delve into all that and i think going back into the um unreliable narrator aspect and you question about all the things that she's seeing or telling us about and whether they're lying or not so you get to wonder i'm like was Mrs. Montague and Arthur just as unbearable as they were in the book? Like they were just miserable. Planchette. Planchette. Yeah, the planchette. (laughs) They were just miserable people to be around. And then, you know, specifically those people. And also like Mrs. Dudley, how she was like, breakfast is served at 10. I clean up the dishes at 12. And then anytime anybody asked her a question, she'd answer back in the most robotic, I put breakfast out at 10 and I clean the dishes at 12 and the dishes are back on the shelf by one. Now you get to the end of like, get to the last third of the book and you were, you're like, wait a minute, are all these people like, actually like this? Uh, what'd you guys think about Theodora's character? She is a great foil to Eleanor because she seems so put together there was like a sense of like comfort in that when I was reading the book, you know, it felt a little bit more safe when Theo was around um, than when Eleanor was by herself. The characters that they chose to populate that house, I think were very well chosen. You know, the, the, the way that Theo interacted with Eleanor, the fact that she was so put together and calming and kind of like always bringing her down, um, I think was really well done. And the same with Luke was to have this character that I think seemed the most like aloof and easygoing out of all of them um, was nice. Um, And Mrs. Dudley, who was just comic relief the whole time. (laughs) I want to know what Theo saw. There's a part in that book where Eleanor sees like the, the picnic going on the ghostly picnic. And all of a sudden you just hear Theodora going like, don't look back. And that, when I got to that part, I was like, oh, what did she see? What could have been so terrifying for her to say, run and don't look back? I'm glad they didn't go into like further depths with that. It was just a, like a, a good jump scare in a book. Yeah, and it leaves it, up, it leaves it to your imagination as to what she was yeah. actually going to see. And I think that's like that's something that um, any horror movie or horror TV show adaption doesn't have the luxury of being able to do as much as a book does. Yeah, I mean, you can always just not show it on camera, but there's something about that that's disappointing when it went with a, an adaption. Um, well, one thing I did like Theodore's <clears throat> character also, I I got the general sense that uh, like she kept referencing like a live in, like like her roommate and stuff like that, and I and I got the sense that she could be lesbian, and then uh, and then later on in the book when she I I got the sense she was flirting with Luke, and so I figured that it may just be like a bisexual thing. I thought that was pretty interesting when they did that because of course, you know, 1950s, if you wanted to have, have a you know bisexual character, it would all be through uh, 
I can't think of the word right this second. But I just, yeah, 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 you, yeah, you do it. You, you can't just come out and say that, right? But you have to drop some clues to make sure. And I thought, I thought that was pretty interesting that a 1950s character, and maybe I read it completely wrong, but I, as I was reading it, I kept thinking, yeah, I'm pretty sure. I, maybe I'm maybe I'm misreading this, so I don't know. Uh, if you guys didn't get that, then maybe I, I I'm wrong. So, no, I I got that too because I think uh, um, there is a subtext there of potential even between Eleanor and Theodora near the beginning. Do they like each other like that, or are they just friendly? Um, so yeah, no, I think there is like a subtext there. You're not the only one that caught on to that for sure. Yeah, I completely, I I definitely caught on to that. I also think that there's an like. In the backstory of Hill House, when they're talking about the Crane sisters, uh, the older sister staying on in the house and then taking on a partner from the village that lived with her in the house. And I'm like, well, clearly, clearly they're a couple. Like, mm-hmm. clearly that's, you know, like, you can be as subtle about it as you want. But, like, reading that today, it's like, you know, oh, this 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 older woman is taking another woman it meets another woman in the village and then they live together in the house as, as partners. And then she also bequeaths the estate to her. I'm like, yeah, they were probably in a relationship. So I think that's like a pretty like overt example that there was a homosexual relationship in the book already. So it doesn't surprise me that Shirley Jackson had that, you know, that kind of, I guess, forward thinking mentality to, to portray those relationships. And um, I can certainly see why people would read that into Theo's character as well. There was also, um, and, and, and the part of the book, and I've mentioned references a few times, uh, that truly, like, I was disturbed reading it. And it was when Luke found that book and they, they were, like, flipping through it. And, like, it actually like clearly shows like that the fact that Hugh Crane, uh, the father of the two girls had some sort of like, like pedophilic thing for his younger daughter. It's, it's a really, it's really disturbing. Like he's like, here's some pictures I drew of like the seven deadly sins. He spends more time on lust and he talks about how please don't give away your virtue like, I don't know, as I said, maybe I'm the only one who picked it up. But as I was reading it, I'm just like, there is something like, like, that's not what a normal father would do. And I just felt like it was like, I think for me personally, I always imagine hauntings come from places of like, like haunted houses don't just pop up. I Things have to happen in that house, like evil things, if you want to. Uh, yeah. And so I, sure. I, I kind of felt that that had somehow connected with, and, and I'm not saying that he ever like, like molested his daughter, but I'm just saying that there was like a, there was a unnatural relationship there. And I think that may have fed into the, you know, evilness of the house. If, if you want to go that far with it. Yeah. Yeah. Like that book part, I did not enjoy at all. I just could not, I think I like tried to like block it out. No, I agree that like haunted house, uh, it needs to have evil, um, originate or perspire, in that place. And that, that book is essentially that linchpin for why that house is so evil. So the haunting of Hill house was adapted and adapted a few times. Um, I have seen the version that came out in the fifties, um, the sixties. I have also seen scary movie Two, which is a, um, a pseudo adaptation of this book. But in 2018, um, 
Mike Flanagan um, adapted it to a Netflix miniseries, kind of a uh, a big name in horror. He's done a few Stephen King adaptations. He did uh, Hush a few years ago. Um, I was already pretty familiar with his work, so when this came out on Netflix, it was a you know Netflix obviously times this very well. It comes out in October when I'm most you know ready to consume stuff like this. So I watched it pretty quickly. I had mixed feelings about it when I first started watching it. Watching it again, I much I liked it so much more than the first time I did. But the first time I did watch it, I think my issue getting into it was that some of the characters have better stories than the other. And that's the nature with, I guess, any ensemble TV show. What really sold me about Hill House, though, is the, the final episode is kind of fantastic. I, I really really enjoyed that final episode it and i felt this the first time i watched it i felt it even more the second time i watched it it is so impressive that he was able to tie up so many loose ends so well you know and also create this like fairly emotional and like quite touching ending um for for this story for this horror story i thought it was very very impressive so yeah i i was a i I'm a huge fan of the TV show, even more so than the first time I watched it. Um, and watching it after after reading the book, I feel like this is the one where it, the adaptation is so different from the source material. Mm-hmm. In the case of the last two books that we read, they were fairly similar. This one um, felt like it was very different, but there were certain things that he kind of pulled from the novel and interspersed throughout the show that I think worked very well. But what did everyone else think? Um, I'm the, I'm with you. I'm I'm in the same boat as you. I watched it when it first came out back in 2018, and I actually really enjoyed it. Like from I I think I I enjoyed a good 99 percent of the show. Like I at no point was uninterested in any of the characters. I think I I obviously liked characters more than I liked other characters. Um, Steve, I think is a dick. I absolutely think Steve is the biggest dick in the world in this series. But, um, but, um, I think the only thing I had at the end, my main issue I had with it and I, and I'm watching it again, I felt the same way is the ending is very, very good. Like you said, until it gets, until it goes a little too far with a saccharine and sweet ending, where it was like, Oh, the ghosts lived happily ever after. And I, I agree with you, Ashton on that part. And other no, than for that, sure. yeah. the wrap up for all the characters, fantastic. I loved all that. But then it was like, Oh, and everybody lived happily ever after. And I was like, Oh, like you kind of lost me there, but everything leading up to there was incredibly strong i love the i i actually really love this uh love the show quite a bit i started i i kind of binge watched the whole thing and i started at six o'clock in the afternoon and i went on till morning i don't know it was day it was daylight when i started and daylight when i finished so uh, watching episode one i'm not kidding i watched it mainly like this Uh, the jump scares I liked. I liked um, the apparitions in there, the bent neck lady and stuff like that. All subtle. And they follow the uh, principle I like, which is show a little bit, not too much. Like if, if you had a blo- broken um, flashlight, you know, you're only getting glimpses of something. Uh, I like the narrative. As the episodes progressed, I'm really getting into the story. I'm liking character development. Again, like you said, some of them get 
more than others. When it gets to episode five, when we find out that Nell has been seeing herself as the bent neck lady, uh, I don't know what it was, but I thought, oh, that's I didn't like that. And 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 since that, I just wasn't scared anymore watching it. And I don't know what it was. It was just the fact like, oh, she's been seeing herself this whole time, you know, as she's progressing, uh, how time doesn't work the same way in the house. Um, and, you know, the episodes are okay, like five to ten. Ten, I'm bittersweet about. Uh, the one thing I do like is they describe the red room as the stomach of the house and it's digesting them. And that is such a cool concept that this house or necessarily the area, the aura of this house is almost a living thing. And it's pulling, it it did what it needed to do. And it pulled the entire family back to start digesting them again. It really wanted to work on them. And I love that whole uh, aspect of that miniseries. And then when it ends, it's like this, oh, this house turns out to, you know, it can be used for good. You know, all the ghosts live happily ever. It's an evil house. It's an yeah. evil place. The guy, like uh, the guy, literally bricked himself in the walls to get rid of uh, hearing the girls whisper in his ear and stuff like that. Th- this house is not good. It shouldn't have, at least in my opinion, it shouldn't have ended on a such a happy cloud nine kind of happy go lucky feeling. I really didn't like that. I wanted this. This house is supposed to be terrifyingly evil. It's a bad place. Yeah. No. I I I actually enjoyed the ending. Um... I was kind of the opposite of you guys. I actually didn't like the series until, I don't know, at a certain point, I was like, actually, this is getting really good. Uh, and, I, and I enjoyed the ending. The thing that I, I laughed at the end for one reason, because there's a scene. So, so, so there's that old lady who says, I lied or whatever, right? Uh, which sucks for her because she died in bed as an old lady or whatever. But yeah. the funny thing is, is so so later <laughs> when the family's like reunited, and then the father de-ages to like the best version of himself. And I'm just thinking to myself, wait, why didn't the old lady do that as well? <laughs> she like like the, the father's ghost becomes young version of him. The old lady's ghost, like I I guess I'm just gonna be an old lady from now on or whatever. But the no, but it was there were parts of it as I was watching it. There were parts of it that were terrifying. That I actually had to take breaks as I because I I I did the same thing that Jesse started. Except I started, I didn't want to watch this during nighttime, so I literally st- woke up at nine thirty and 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 watched it throughout the day. And by the end of the mm-hmm. night, it was like getting. But I, like there were points, like especially when like the like the, the the guy with the bowler hat was like uh, was like following Luke around I'm just like can you guys please not be this scary like does it have to be <laughs> this scary because those parts those like is Luke's story I think affected me the most for some reason like just with the whole like floating man and like when he's under the bed and watching his feet I'm just like can, uh, like I'm like I can't watch this this is too scary and then when he's like on the street and it's like behind him and every yeah that's I'm just like Ugh. oh please oh this is so so I so like in a way it's it's a great horror flick for that, but for me personally I don't like horror like that. And so I, like, uh, you know, I'm walking down the street being like, there better not be a bolt man with a bowler hat behind me or else like I'm gonna flip. <laughs> but the uh, and then at the end when like when you see he's like really tall and stuff like that, like it it kind of the last episode kind of diffuses that because you find out that he's actually not like an evil ghost. Like the only evil ghost is. Like the 1920s girl, I think her name was Poppy. Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah Poppy. All the other ghosts were Fucking just like, Poppy. We're like, hey, uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm just going to scare you a little bit, but I'm here, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I just uh, quickly elaborate. The scariest part for me is when Luke gets lowered down into that cellar on the dumbbell waiter. Mm-hmm. And all the like the part I actually I didn't scream, but I was like, like is when you see that mummified hand and something pulling itself and then this flashlight fails. I just remember I actually paused the episode. I was like, oh, like that's pretty bad. But then I resumed it, and I, that part actually like gave me like like a like fearful sickness. Like I was like, oh, I don't want to watch this part, but I did. I that part, you know, to me, just just like again, I explained it how the flashlight doesn't quite work, and you're just getting a glimpse of something enough to know that there's something there, but you can't quite make it out. That's the ultimate terror for me. So that part really chilled me to the bone yeah i so just to to, elaborate, to go back to what i was saying i did think the ending was great i do think that the that the ghosts being happy in this house is a bit of a stretch the house is evil i completely understand that and the idea that they're existing in this like happy purgatory this happy kind of limbo is kind of silly um, and I completely get that. Yeah, I, I more, I guess, was the way that they wrapped up the characters' um, stories was very was very good. And also just, like, explaining some of those, like, hidden plot details and those hidden things, like the Dudley's daughter and, and stuff like that. Um, I think it was that those little bits um, that I fully appreciated and the way that they tied up the lost stories in the house. There are some truly scary, scary moments in this show. Um, for me, one of the scariest parts was was Shirley's um, backstory and the box of fucking kittens. Oh, good lord! Like that—that that was just the worst thing in the world. Like when we were watching it again, I watched it with uh, my partner, with Marsha, and I and I was just like. This is probably a scene you want to close your eyes for. The other thing I was going to touch on is that one of the things I think that the show um, does that's quite different from the novel is the novel has a lot of like fairly humorous moments in it. You know, there's there's a lot of comic relief. Um, Mrs. Dudley is essentially a comic relief character in the novel. She's not like that in the show. <laughs> and even Luke's Luke's character, oh boy, nothing like the book. Talk about a tortured character. Luke's was a, a hard one to watch. His episode was was very very rough. I'm I'm all for horror that takes itself very seriously, but there's something there's something to say for those moments of levity in a horror um, story. And the novel had a lot of that, and I wish the show kind of had some of that in it. Um, yeah. Um, what about everyone else? Um, how did you feel about the differences between the book and the novel or the movie and the the show and the novel yeah like it's interesting because uh the book obviously plot wise character wise very very um different uh from the show or the show was very different from the book plot wise character wise but thematically wise this is pretty like a very very well like it's pretty good adaption if you take all the themes of trauma and how people deal with trauma in their life and all that and talk about all the like guilt and fear and all that stuff. And I really liked when the show took aspects 
from the book, like the little cup of stars and uh, like quotes, like the fear and guilt are sisters and stuff like that, all these things. And I thought they took them and used them differently, but integrated them well within in a totally different Mm -hmm. storyline. And um, there's lots of things that I even saw. I'm like, oh yeah, that's like obviously was inspired by this scene in the book or whatever. Right. And it was just twisted a little bit, just be a little bit different. And I like that because I kind of like, watching something and not knowing what's going to happen next, even though I have seen the show before, but like, you know, like if you were to read the book, then watch the show, you'd have no idea what was going to happen in the show. I feel like Mike Flanagan probably read this novel like 20 times or something. Cause the way that he, that he peppers the show with all of these references is it's almost like a, like, it's almost like in like a Marvel movie does. Um, where it'll just have these references to comic book moments and to a comic book fan, it's like, ah, oh, damn, sick reference, bro. Mm-hmm. Um, so I feel like to a Shirley Jackson fan, <laughs> um, this show would be like, ah, oh, sick reference, bro. Cause there's so many, there's so many really clever uses of reference to the novel. It's refreshing to see how he's taken the source material and changed it. Um, it was something because again, you I've just come out of reading the book, uh, now moving on to this Netflix series and I got something completely different. And so my brain couldn't, uh, pin together aspects of the story. And I would see it that like, it's hard for me sometimes if I watch an adaptation or read the book first, cause my brain switches over to ju- what I've just, uh, read or watched, but this was nice. I could, you know, formulate a brand new story in my head with, um, all the lore that was, uh, given. So. I, I kind of liked how that uh, they did that. I wish more um, directors would do that type of adaptation. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think the one thing I didn't like about the show was, and this is this this is just my general gripe with all horror. Uh, see, see, the the book made sense for me because they they knowingly went to a haunted house and they wanted to study it, right? But for me, if I'm in a situation and the bedneck lady shows up. Like if my if my kid comes up to me and says, "Oh, there's a bedneck lady that's been haunting me," I'd be like, "Yeah, okay, whatever, go back to sleep." And then if she does it like three days in a row, I'll be like, "Okay, maybe there's something to this." And by like day five, I'm like, "Yeah, let's uh, drop everything, get rid of that hat, we're out of here, right?" And I just I just feel like at some point the crate uh, uh, the the crane family is that was that the last thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like the crane family. Uh, should have just boogied out of there like like for me personally i w- i would have been out of there the second i seen anything i've been like oh there's a there's a 1920s woman over there well sucks to be us Let's head out. <laughs> and so like my biggest gripe and my general big gripe about horror films is they do things that i personally wouldn't do and it bothers me like my favorite horror film of all time is the conjuring because uh, because I don't think I would have did anything different than the family did. And I felt like they were forced to stay there, but I didn't feel the same thing with this. I felt like at any point they could have been like, yeah, maybe we should send my wife and the kids off to uh, like, not here, literally anywhere to like Alcatraz or whatever, like somewhere, <laughs> somewhere slightly safer and less scary like that. <laughs> that that's just my personal thought about the, the adaption. But that being said, b- beyond that, I quite, I quite enjoyed uh, I quite enjoyed the the show uh, by the end. Um, did anybody have a favorite like episode? You know what I found is the, like kind of the middle of the series when they were going through each of their individual stories. I kind of 
like I'd be watching it and be like, oh, my favorite character is Theodora. And then the next episode would follow Luke and I'd be like, actually, my favorite character is Luke. Um, but I would say that I, I, I agree with Jesse that um, that when when she well, like forced was forced to hang herself and you see that entire sequence happen and then, you know, she drops that she's the magnetic lady. That's kind of when I was like, oh, crap, like this. It became less of a scary story because I kind of felt like all of the I, I kind of felt incorrectly and not incorrectly that the ghosts were like themselves somehow. Uh, I was wrong that Luke, you know, throwing a bolter's hat or something like that. But I generally thought that that was the case. And uh, but anyways, I really <laughs> like I really like Luke's story is, mm. is what I was trying to say. I think Luke's story was was my favorite story because he was also an addict. And it's be it would be really cheap for a uh, the writers to make it so that Luke would like fall back to his attic ways or whatever. But also the story, you can see him like almost getting there, but then like digging down deep and saying, no, that's the, the, that's the end. And I really liked his story in general and his story gave me the the worst TBGBs of them all. Just as I said earlier. Um, uh, sorry. So I just realized my favorite episode. Yeah. Without a doubt, it's the it's the big it's the big episode six, I think, or maybe it's seven, but it's the big big one shot episode. Um, you, you gotta you gotta love a, a good one shot. Um, I, I'll never get sick of it. I realize it's like kind of trendy now for for people to try big one shots in their show, but it was great. It was really really solid, super tight. Um, I liked the way when I when I got into the episode and I realized what they were doing, I was like, oh, this is a one shot. Cool. How long are they going to go with this? And then I realized it's like pretty much the entire episode. Um, I started to wonder, how are they going to show the kids? Like, how are they going to go into the past and show the kids now? Because if this is the format that they're committing to, if they're only going to do one shot, how are they going to now bring in the flashbacks that have been so important in the show? Um, and they did it super well. Like mm-hmm. the the part when when Hugh uh, is going to the bathroom and turns into Hill House, and then it cuts very seamlessly into the flashback, um, was really really well done. And um, that episode has beautiful. Like the ending is very very touching um and it's and it is super tragic it's you know yeah it was super emotional and just and also just like very slick very very well shot and and just a fun fun episode to watch all together but yeah jesse did you have a favorite episode i'm trying to think and the thing is again it's like episodes one to five a majority of five i loved and after that, I shouldn't say that I hated him. I just wasn't scared anymore. I wasn't treating it like a horror story. And so I wasn't giving it the same amount of attention. But um, I actually have to say it's probably Nell's story, episode five. And that's because you just watch this. Up to this point, I had no idea it was actually Nell doing it. Um, you had this sinister force in her life. And when it got to the point where, you know, with Arthur dying from the aneurysm, which was obviously this bent I was so like, I was scared, but I was mad at the same time. It's like, this thing just will not leave her alone. And I hated that. And I hated this, this ghost. And then actually when the reveal happened, I was like, 
a little bit just jaded. I was like, this is stupid. I hate this. I wanted to have this enemy that Nell could interact with. And it wasn't, it's like, oh, it's just, uh, she's seeing herself, how she dies. And then she's just regressing through time. But is the reason why it's no longer scary? Cause I can see why this, what, how this might be the thing is the reason why it's no longer scary. The fact that you now know that these, that the horror is something that like it's personal to them. Like it's something that is haunting them. That haunting is something of their own creation. Cause Steve talks about this in the first episode. And I, I always come back to this having read the book. I watched the show in a different light, you know, cause the book is so psychological and it's questioning the whole time, whether the horror is real. When I watched the show again, I was questioning the whole time, whether the horror was real. You know, and I was almost like pigeonholing the show into this into this corner where I was like, maybe this isn't real. Maybe what's happening is the is the you know the manifestation of something in their life. And I think with Nell's story, it really is this turning point where you realize that like the thing that's been haunting her is death itself. It's her own death, um, and and it's I don't know. It's a manifestation of grief from the death of her husband. It's 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 some kind of you know it's something that um i don't know is is not supernatural and and is that what made it less scary to you or or what do you think i like the idea that the house is like this bent neck lady could have been a previous occupant of this house that something happened either she hung herself or you know her neck got broken i like the idea of this house using this corpse this ghost as a puppet to get at her i love the idea of that i like the idea that this house is this energy it's an aura it's a living thing and when they said the red room is the stomach of the house it's digesting them again i thought that's such an amazing like plot line the house is eating them and there's a similar uh, adaptation uh stephen king's rose red it was a made for tv movie and pretty much stephen king capitalized on that idea the house is a living entity and the house is itself evil and it's shifting and changing and adapting to its occupants and just slowly digesting them and using the ghosts of its victims to manipulate who's ever inside it. And I love the idea. I love, I wanted this, I wanted the bent neck lady to be rather a shell and that it's this ghost using it to, to get at uh, Nell. But when it was revealed that it was just her, I don't know. I just thought that was like, Oh man, really? It's just her the whole time. I don't know. That's just the feeling I got. I I personally really liked that twist. It was something that I didn't see coming. Uh, like at the time when I watched it the first time, I was like, oh, like because I, I like like you said, I was just assuming that it was a ghost that was haunting the house. But the fact that it was herself from the future that had killed herself and hung herself and and it showed that like that time like the the ghostly presence of these things there is no no time or like time is it just a construct within inside this house that like any like i like that a lot that, that this house could be haunted by something in the future or from the past i thought i actually really did enjoy the fact that it was now because like i said i didn't really see that coming I thought that was a kind of a unique twist on on it, and I'd never seen that before like, in the show. Again, it's just not my cup of tea. The whole time uh, construct within this house—I don't know why. But I'm not saying that the episodes weren't bad; they were good. It's just that it wasn't scary anymore. It wasn't—I wasn't again giving it the same attention. I just kind of was like, oh, well, I guess you know, 
keep watching it. But again, when it got to the last episode and it's the red room explained and we see what's in there, and it's just this whatever it needs to be. I love that part. I love the living house, an evil entity of this house. I think there's a massive tonal shift as well, like as what you're saying, because the first half is legitimately like a horror movie. And then the second half is more dramatic and a lot less scary. I could definitely see why you would be less scared by it. There is a massive tonal shift in the second half of the show. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, There's apparently um, uh, an alternate ending that Mike Flanagan considered. um, where at the very end when you see Luke blowing out the candle for two years, um, uh, drug free or whatever, um, or two years sober. Um, as the camera zooms out, you see the the window from the red room in the background. <laughs> and, and I, I would have I loved that. I would have hated that. That would have been the worst thing in the world. Um, the whole time watching that last episode, I was like, "Please let Luke live, for the love of God! Please let Luke live." I was so concerned. Um, I mean, it's, you know, it would have been a, a much darker ending if that was the case. But yeah. Okay. Didn't, didn't he say uh, too that he was totally going to do that ending and then he realized he woke up in the middle of the night and he was like, I, I want to see my, these characters survive. I want to see these characters actually have a decent ending and not have a, just a super grim, horrible fate. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and it, you know, I mean, like, you know, Hugh sacrifices himself anyways, and it's and that's pretty awful. Um, even though they play it like it's a happy thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um also too, I thought that he just straight up died of a heart attack. Did he like all they walk out he's on the ground, he's like, Oh, I, I, there I am dead. He's just and he like like a scene earlier, he's just scene earlier, he's like, oh, that's why I have these pills here. So I, 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 maybe I totally missed it, but I'm just like, oh, did he just die of a heart attack in the wrong place? Like, <laughs> or get scared? No, but for me, strangely enough, okay, so I'm watching this. There are two parts of the movie, not the movie, the show that actually like scared me, where I actually like my heart skipped a beat. And the one is slightly less, but as they're driving, uh, Shirley and Theodora. And uh, they're just like talking and I'm watching like, oh, this is a nice scene about two sisters being angry at each other. And then all of a sudden, like Eleanor, <laughs> like normal Eleanor, she's just like, you know, it'd be really great. Just screaming for some reason. Like <laughs> future ghost Eleanor is like, you know, I should just scream in this situation. Anyways, she screams and I'm literally I, I, I actually like my heart stops for about two and a half seconds. where I'm just like, holy crap. Like, but then. There's another scene that I'm actually that scared me just as much. It wasn't even a scary scene though. It was when um, Shirley was standing over um, Eleanor's body and like preparing her for uh, uh, whatever. And then she glances over the door and a, and a little kid peeks at, peeks in and then peeks out again. Like that's not even supposed to be a scary moment. At least, and it actually scared the hell out of me. I actually was like, <laughs> I can't do this. And then, they, and then she goes out there and talks to her kids. I'm like, oh, so it's just like a normal family moment, but they made it into the scariest thing in history. So I, those were the two parts of the... Of course, there are a lot of other stuff that was like viscerally scary, but those were the like jump scares that actually really got to me in the entire, in the entire thing. Did anyone catch the like hidden in plain sight ghosts that, that were hidden throughout the show? A few of them. Yeah, watching it a second time... Um... I caught a few more of them and I've watched the YouTube video that like break down all of them. 
but uh, there was a moment where where uh, it was a ghost that was in plain sight, and uh, it's like it's it's the scene where the younger Hugh Crane finds the the body in the wall. Um, but it's right before he reaches into the wall, there's a ghost like right beside his face, like right there. And it's almost a close up on the ghost, but it's slightly out of focus. And holy crap, horrifying. But the one, the one that got me was in the kitchen. It's Luke and Theodora talking and there's a window plane in the, um, in the kitchen. And all you just see is this kind of pale face slowly getting down and I don't even remember what happened to that scene. I had to rewind it because I was solely focused on this just pale face behind this window, just slowly leaning down. Uh, I don't know which ghost it was. I don't think it was uh, the bowler hat man. Just ever so leaning in there. And I just remember being memorized by it. It's, uh, it's a scene where Theodora and Luke are talking in the kitchen. The, uh, the only thing, the only one that I saw was the one where he was, where, and it was later brought up in the actual show where, where he was explaining to um, what's his name that uh, like they, they, uh, that they're witness marks, right? They're like they, there are things you see but you don't actually see. But I remember in that scene he was running down the stairs, and I remember seeing that. I'm like, I bet you that's a ghost. Like I, I thought that, and then they totally. Uh, there were some things that I I saw, but they happened so quickly that I wasn't like, and I was like, I don't even want to re- re- rewind this and see it. I just I just I just feel like they're there. So. <laughs> Yeah, so we're time for the show. Casting our WWE Supercast for Oh, sorry. Yeah, let's talk about that. So I guess Seamus could be Luke. <laughs> Doesn't make sense at all. Not yeah. at all. I just made a random uh, random gambit there. Makes, makes perfect sense. Uh, Undertaker actually, as the baller cap man. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's like, hey, uh, look, I found an Undertaker hat in the basement. Well, why don't you wear it and play with it indefinitely? <laughs> like, like honestly that the entire series they'd be like hey i found this mystical box of something well i should give it to my kids to to play with and then like a day later they're like there's something super haunted about this whatever uh here's more here's more play sets you can you can have like, like that so sorry i'm just talking crap about it about the uh like feel free is to this like, wwe related no it isn't but the Oh, well, like uh, what? <laughs> well, one the actors were amazing, but I loved the soundtrack. They had that like like tone of soundtrack, like the the, the piano or whatever. And and whenever that yeah. popped up, you knew it something was happening with family or something. I thought that was really cool. I mm-hmm. I, I really like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there was there was a fair amount of like the soundtrack was was super was really good. Um, but I think it it's also like. There was something like very tragic about the soundtrack. Yeah, you know, is like when that family theme came in. I was like, oh no! <laughs> I was like, oh like, god! Oh, here, like now here. I get to now I get to dwell on on like you know generational trauma for a while. <laughs> and it's like, yeah. And they're like, oh, uh, like his wife pulls pulls a, a screwdriver on him, and he's just like, yeah, that's fine. She can still hang out. <laughs> Like that's see at that's the point where I'd be like I'd be like him in the last scene where I'd be like you and get everybody we're jumping in the car and we're getting out of here. <laughs> My wife just pulled a knife on or uh, pulled a screwdriver on me. The uh, <laughs> sorry I'm I'm just talking crap about the the show but it was a good show so go ahead what what's the next thing we're doing if nobody else has anything to add? 
Uh, yeah, we can we can wrap up. Um, I think um, our next pick is going to be The Color Out of Space by H.P. Lovecraft. Uh, a short story that was written in, I want to say, 1928. Let me see if I'm right. Give me a second. It's like, hey, I found some... Uh, some 1927. Some so close. <laughs> Anyways, oh, sorry. Are you, if you're done with your if you're done with your precious jokes, um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, our next pick sorry. is going to be the color out of space, um, a short story by H.V. Lovecraft from 1927, and we're going to watch um, the color out of space, which was directed by um, Richard, Stanley. Richard Stanley in 2019. Yeah. All right, uh, wow. and that's. Uh, that's page and screen, everyone. Thank you so much. I want to give a special thanks uh, to me and my friend for creating all the music you hear on the show. Check out more of their music by visiting meandmyfriend.bandcamp.com. If you haven't already done so, go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And leave us a review and a rating if you really like us, because that'll really help us out. Feel free to connect with us on social media. We are at Page and Screen 1 on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also search Page and Screen on YouTube, where you can watch a video version of this show. We post regular updates of all the books we read and all the movies we watch, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on all of them. We're not the only ones who can offer our unwarranted opinions, so chime in and join the conversation. And finally, make sure you spread the word about the show. If you know a book nerd or a film geek in your life, pass it on. We'd love to reach new people. Maybe you know someone who just bought a house with a locked room they can't get into. They should probably sell that house, but also listen to our show. Until the next page and screen, thank you for listening. <laughs>